relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. Going deeper on the big issues that matter to you. This is your exclusive podcast, America First, one-on-one, with me, Sebastian Gorka, former strategist to President Donald J. Trump. Welcome, dear friends, to America First, one-on-one, where we get to talk to our good friends on the big issues of the day. But to get to the heart of them, we have time to dig deeper, not just some legacy media, quick media hit. No, this is diving to the heart of the issue. And this day is a very special one. A friend of mine for many, many years, I I dread to think how long I've known this man. Uh, He is a staunch supporter of our radio show, comes in studio every Friday afternoon to talk national security and foreign affairs. He is the vice president of the Heritage Foundation, Jim Carafano. Welcome to America First One-on-One. Hey, it's great. It's a real honor to be with you. You know, I've been, you know, like you said, we've known each other forever, but I've been been such a fan of what you've done to the show And, and and, and especially now, as you know, I think talk radio is the only forum in America where we have this uncensored opportunity to really unpack things in a way that you just you can't do online in social media. You can't do in, in uh, many of the mainstream media. And this is maybe the only forum that Americans have where they can really connect across the country. Uh, and I just think it's more important than ever. And to see you part of this you know, great team of conservative broadcasters that are out there, it's just you know, I'm just honored to, to know you and, and appreciate what you're doing because it's never been more important. Well, look, uh, let, well, let me let me return the, the compliment, <laughs> the idea that in D.C. of all places, we get somebody who knows what he's talking about to come in studio on a Friday afternoon. That, that is a, a mark that you know, that should get a medal in and of itself because Friday afternoon in D.C., that's it's like a ghost town. So God bless you, Jim. And I have to say this because I've noticed this in the last few weeks and months. Nobody else does this, but Jim Carafano. Every week, a couple of times, he's going to tweet out, follow him at JJ Carafano, these are the people you should listen to. And he'll tell you this show, you know, whether it's Jersey Joe, Joe Piscopo in New York, or whether it's one of our other buddies. And he gives you a guide to, hey, guys, if, you, if you're really interested in this stuff, listen to these people and follow them. So God bless you, Jim, for all the support you give, not just me, but everybody who's trying to get a little bit more serious about these issues. So... Uh- Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and it, and it was never more important than, a, you know, the kind of the height of the Afghanistan chaos when a lot of people were actually trying to coordinate with other people to save lives. And there was this cadre of people that were just doing an incredible thing. And it was you and Laura Logan, who's just been unbelievable, and our good friend Sarah Carter and Molly Hemingway and Tammy Bruce and uh, KT McFarland and, and both both on social media that a lot of people saw and, and and what a lot of people didn't say so was behind the scenes and phone calls and emails just frantically sharing real information and uh and trying to save lives boy and just to watch you guys in action was 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 really awesome and, and super gratifying to just even have the privilege of knowing you guys 
Well, look, uh, two oh, people look. we've had on the show already who are people out of Afghanistan, Americans, SIVs. Um, you know, you, you have to do something. When you find out a buddy of yours, a former Air Force guy, is actually flying people out to have been left there, you've got to bang a drum and you've got to bang it loud. Okay, let's, let's get to you. Let's talk about you. We're, we're not going to be interrupted. We're going to get to know you. We're going to talk the big issues of the day, Afghanistan et al. Um, for those who've just been sent this link to this new podcast, One on One, somebody who's just tuned into the radio show, let's start with who is Jim? Carafano. Where did you come from? Where's your family from? And what did you do in service of this country? And then how did you end up at the conservative mothership that is the Heritage Foundation? Yeah, actually, I, I think I'm pretty typical DC. There was so much serendipity here. So uh, I was in, I graduated from West Point. I was in the military for 25 years. Um, like much of my family, we're, we're just enamored with the idea of public service. It's, we're nurses, doctors, teachers, firemen, uh, uh, military service, and uh, your so your dad. Your dad was a cop, right, Jim? My, my my dad was a, a Korean War veteran. He served eleven years in uniform and had eighteen months of combat time in Korea. Came back, got out, became a cop, and was a. Um, a, a did 20 years as a, as a policeman in, in uh, New York. And I don't know if I ever told you this, but my mom was actually a Korean war veteran. When my dad joined the army, they weren't married yet, but when my dad joined the army, you know, while she was waiting for him, she joined the WAX, which was the Women Army's Corps back then. And uh, she got she got as far as Fort Dix, New Jersey, where she had the, the uh, honor of um, being the bat boy on the Fort Dix baseball team, and she was on the <laughs> swim team. And... And I always thought she made this stuff up, but you know, the Fort Dix baseball team at the height of the Korean War had almost every all-star from the from the major league baseball league because a lot of them got drafted and they and they wound up just playing baseball for the army. And when we were the Cub Scouts, we went down to Shea Stadium, when we were the place where the Mets used to play. And she looked on the roster and she goes, "Harvey Haddock, who was like a really super famous uh, pitcher for the Detroit Tigers, and he was the uh, Detroit Tigers. He was the um, the pitching coach, she goes, I know Harvey Haddix. And she dragged us down to the bullpen. And she's screaming over the, the, the fence. She goes, Harvey. And he turns around and goes, Amy. So, um, and then uh, um, my mom was also a cop for uh, um, a number of years. So, uh, yeah, this is this is our family. Uh, um, I did 25 years in the Army uh, station all over the world and really uh, was in Washington, D.C. It was really my, my farewell kind of deal and I was uh, editing a journal called Joint Force Quarterly. I was at the National Defense University, which, which may have actually been where we first met. And uh, um, as a journal that like Colin Powell started when he was chairman. And, you know, I knew I was going to retire from that. And when I decided to retire, uh, I wanted a, a small defense think tank. And I, w I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, and I just started looking around for stuff to pay the bills while I figured out what I was going to do. And, uh, while I was there, I actually got a call from a, a guy, a friend of ours, uh, a guy who was at Heritage who was also in the Army, a guy named Larry Wurzel. Larry called me up one day and said, hey, Jim, he says, I just saw you on TV. He says, I thought you were great. He said, I didn't even know you were retired. And uh, so that's how I went up at Heritage. And we're going on And when And when here. was that? Um, when did you go to Heritage? How long ago was that, Jim? That was, that was, would have been, so I retired in 2002, so that would have been right around 2000, 2003. Uh, it's it's been a, and as you know it's a great team. I probably have about 40, 50 analysts that work for me, 
many of them have been with me with me for 10 years some of them have been there even longer than i have and it's a it's a it's a a team that you would appreciate right because what we look for is people that have obviously academic credentials right so i have a, a phd big deal but people that have real world experience who've gone out into the world and done things so when you when you're working on these policy recommendations yeah they're grounded in data and research and all that but they'll work in the real world and that's uh and that's so that's why for example on my defense team all of my senior defense guys are retired military guys who had real operational experience yeah. army um former intelligence guys people with with private sector experience that do our economic work so i think it's so important to have people who, who are, are grounded and to keep a team together i mean as you as you know a lot of washington is when can i punch my next ticket and and uh you know it's you know when you look at like a super bowl team or a um like the Patriots, you know, that win consecutive Super Bowls over and over again. What's the magic? Well, they, they get a great team. They keep them together and they, they just get better and better over time. So it's a it's a great team at Heritage. I don't know if folks really understand what think tanks do. And, you know, basically we try to turn ideas into action. So we try to figure out what would make America more free, more safe, more prosperous. And then how do we convince people, whether it's a government or a state and local government, or a, or a thought leader, or another you know country for that matter, or a foreign government. How do we convince them that these are the right ideas? And uh, and then we think of ways that, that we do that. Sometimes it's in small meetings. Sometimes it's by publishing research. Sometimes it's by going on radio shows. Uh, and uh, but it's always with a purpose. And the purpose is you know what can we do that's good for Americans? And so it's super gratifying. Just like being in the military, you feel like you're you're, you're serving um, your country, and I I just keep doing this because honestly, it's all I've ever done my adult life. It's the only job that gives me love and satisfaction is is feeling like I'm making a better place for everybody. And now that I'm a grandfather of three months, you know, I feel this special um, drive to really want this country to be the best place in the world to live. Yeah, and and it's come out clearly the the emotion, you know, <laughs> contributions to uh, America First to the radio show over the months, especially in the last eight months. Of, you know, I've seen in you, Jim. I, I've known you for decades. I I don't know if we met at National Defense University when I was teaching there. I think we actually met before I ended up in in the United States. So, God bless you, Jim. We're going to talk about oh. all of these issues, and it's worth it for me. I've already learned stuff about Jim that I haven't known for the last 20 years, like his mom was a cop as well. So first things first, congratulations officially in front of our millions of listeners and viewers on uh, becoming a grandfather. We're talking to the vice president of the Heritage Foundation, the conservative mothership, join today, seriously, join today, heritage.org. You won't regret it. Okay, Jim, let's get down to business. I could talk about strategy and national security for hours and for days. You know that. This is you know, what I've lived for, for for so long, and this is what I did in the White House and for, for the DOD for, well, a long time. Um, but let's talk about current affairs. Oh, here we have a cut from the person who currently bears the title of commander-in-chief. This was uh, Joe Biden about, uh, what was it, two weeks ago? Play cut. I give my word with all of my heart. I believe... This is the right decision, a wise decision, and the best decision for America. 
He's talking about the withdrawal from Kabul, the surrender of Afghanistan that President Trump on our show called literally a surrender. You called it a retreat in a famous tweet I retweeted where you said, uh, you know, when you leave the battle space after contact with the enemy, that's not a withdrawal, that's a, that's a retreat. Please react to the current incumbent's description of his decision as the best decision, the right decision, decision Jim. You know, I think that the key phrase that he said, this was a wise decision. So this is the president of the United States basically telling everybody else how smart he is. And, of course, the reality is, is if, if somebody had made a smart, wise, compassionate decision, people would know that. And, and you wouldn't have to say that. When FDR made the famous Day of Infamy speech, he didn't stand up and the, and the first thing he said is, is you people know how right I am in, in doing this. When Ronald, Ronald Reagan made you know, some of his most iconic and famous speeches, he actually never even mentioned Ronald Reagan. He didn't talk about what I did. He talked about what the boys at Point de Hawk did. He talked about what the American people did. He never, it was never about Ronald Reagan. So the, there's something that's consistent whether you're talking about border security or inflation, response to COVID, uh, and, and in the Afghanistan, which are very Obama-like and not surprising. And it's they're, they're, the responses are really designed to protect their decision, to provide them political cover. It's not about responding to the crisis. It's about protecting the, their image as a leader. And I think I understand why this is. And, and it's by contrasting with our one of our favorite presidents, you know, Donald Trump, or or you could talk about Dwight Eisenhower or, or even Ronald Reagan, and that is, you know, as a contrast, if you look somebody like Trump, who may not have had a career as a a, a general or a diplomat, but his entire adult life, Donald Trump was responsible for the consequences of his decision. He was running companies. If things got wrong, people didn't get paid. Buildings collapsed. You know, and he would go to bed every night knowing that when he woke up in the morning, he would have to live with the consequences of that. And and when you do that, when your entire life is living with the consequences of the decision, one is you learn to become a better decision maker. And the other one is, is you understand the gravity of what you're doing and the importance of owning the decisions that you make and taking responsibility for them. You know, in contrast, people like Obama and Biden ne never had that kind of training. You know, Obama was a, a community organizer. Right. Biden was a, had spent 40 years in politics. I mean, virtually he has no other career. And he has never been responsible for the decisions that he made. And they're unprepared for that. And, and it's, look, anybody can be responsible for a decision when things turn out okay. But when, but when things turn out wrong, and it's very clear it's your responsibility they turned out wrong, a, a real decision maker knows how to deal with that. I, I'll, I'll give you an example. Probably the best one is Eisenhower. You know, they went to Dwight Eisenhower at the end of May, and they said the weather is not right for the invasion of Normandy. We, we have people on ships, uh, everybody's thing. And, and, and Eisenhower said, okay, we're not going to go. I mean, he could have just said, all right, well, let's just do it anyway, right? He said, nope, we're not going to go. And then on June 6th, they came and they said, we think we have 24 hours of good weather. You can get the guys on the beach. Um, this might work. And Eisenhower said, we're going to go. And then he did. Then, then he went back to his office 
and he took out a piece of paper and he wrote an apology. He said that this invasion has failed. People have died. I made the decision. It's my fault. I was wrong. Just in case. And then he folded that, he folded that piece of paper and put it in his pocket, right? Because if Normandy had failed, he was going to take responsibility for that. People like Joe Biden have never had to do that in their life. They don't know how to do that. And, and honestly, their response, once they are in a position of power and in making these big monumental decisions where they do really don't weigh the gravity and the responsibility of what they have is when things go wrong is they just all go, go all Bart Simpson, right? Not my fault. I didn't do it. I wasn't there. I mean, Obama did that for eight years. You know, Benghazi wasn't his fault. ISIS wasn't his fault. Nothing was his fault. And, and, and Biden does this, the same thing. And this is what's, I think, the greatest danger here. They're, they're about defending their politics. They're not about solving the problem. And here, from, from our perspective, this is so clearly apparent to our enemies. They know that these are feckless, cowardly leaders. They know how to exploit that. And so this gravy train for the bad guys is not over by a long shot. That You actually read my mind. That was going to be my next question. So talk to us about what the withdrawal, the retreat, the surrender of Afghanistan, how, how that is filed in Tehran, in Moscow, in Pyongyang, in Beijing. What are they, how do they look at the last eight months? Not politics, but policy, Jim. How do our enemies yeah. look at that balance sheet? Well, reflexively, the U.S. position is to disengage you know, walk away. And, and there's both, um, there's a domestic political reason for that. In, in addition to being like the guy, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get in fights in, in the, in the schoolyard. Right. I, I want to be the kid that goes and cowers by the door. Right. Cause then nobody will pick on me. And of course, what do the bullies do? They go find the guy that's cowering in the corner of the schoolyard. And that's the guy they pick on. Right. But, but in addition to that, for them, it's all about domestic politics and the consolidation of domestic political power and dealing with foreign policy. And these things are a distraction. And so they would rather just disengage. And if they and if they can't disengage because because they turn their back on the enemy and they get stabbed, their, their, their notion is to accommodate, enable, empower by the mob. And this is such like a politician community organizer response, right? You go in a community and you're loved in the community because, like, here's some free school lunches. You know, here's jobs for all your cousins, right? You buy friendship, and that's what they try. That's what politicians oh, look. I'll put, I'll put, I'll put a rider in the bill for you, right? They buy friendships, and they think they can do that with their enemies. And our enemies can sense weakness, and and I think that just means there are more and and more troubles ahead, and not just from the Taliban, but from from North Korea and China and Russia and Iran. Um. I want not only to recognize Jim today, but also somebody else who supports uh, the values that the Heritage Foundation supports, a man we call America's mayor. He's under attack. They want to cancel him. They want to bankrupt him. They want to strip him of his law licenses. As a personal favor to me, would you please support Mayor Rudy Giuliani. It's RudyGiulianiFreedomFund.com. Send some support to the man that brought New York back from the brink in the 1980s and got it back up on its feet after 9-11. Please support Rudy Giuliani today. That's RudyGiulianiFreedomFund.com. Jim, um, you have been – let's talk about not just the politicians – 
Let's talk about the question, something that's really, you've told some amazing stories almost every week. You'll bring a personal story or a historic story to bear on our radio show that, that illustrates the values upon which the, the Republic was founded, the values that Heritage fights for, and, and really have a lot to do with, with honor in leadership. As, as a West Point graduate, as somebody who served the nation in and out of uniform for decades, will you talk to us about what has happened, in your estimation, to the officer corps in America? And, and as somebody who's worked with every service for years, I'm, I'm not interested in people below the, the rank of um, captain or right. major. I'm talking about one star and above, and the fact that to this day we haven't seen a slew of resignations or firings for what happened in Afghanistan or with regards to the southern border amongst the yeah. Department of Homeland Security. So wh- where are we as a nation when it comes to what, 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 what does West Point call it? Uh, the issue of uh, honor, uh, honor violations. Yeah, I, look, I think there's no question that this generation of senior leaders has, has failed us. I, I, I've written about this. We've, we've talked about this on your show. And, and I'll give you a, a perfect example of this. Uh, and you will appreciate this because I'm sure you've read this. And, and we've all read, for example, about George Marshall and, and other leaders um, and how they, you, you're bound to follow lawful orders. But when you see things that are wrong and stupid, there's a way to follow the order, respect your boss, and still make the point that, and let them know that they're making a bad decision. And if they make that decision, they own it. You know, in contrast, um, our good friend H.R. McMaster, who wrote a tremendous book about the generals just never told Johnson the truth about Vietnam because he just didn't want to hear it. And they never found a way to tell him the truth and that they were just as culpable as he was. Ironically, H.R. was just fired by Biden from the advisory board uh, at the Academy at West Point, which is kind of funny because He's, a, uh, he's tomorrow, going to be recognized by West Point with the highest, uh, you know, yes. recognition of honor this weekend. Right. As, yeah, he's going to be named the distinguished graduate, which people like MacArthur, you know, and and Colin Powell get. So that that's uh, that's uh, that's that's pretty bad. So here's here's how this could have gone down if if we had leaders of integrity. Yeah. Um, when the president said we have to withdraw. You have 2,500 troops on the ground. You withdraw with the troops you have. I don't want to risk more casualties. I don't want to see a Black Hawk down moment or something like that. I don't want close, to close escalate. background. Can't can't talk to the can't talk to the uh, you know, allies. Can't coordinate with the Afghans. Can't let them and just take those 2,500 and 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 get out right. And and yeah, they had to leave Bagram because they didn't have enough troops to cover Bagram, the Kabul airport, and the embassy. Right. So here's what here's what could have happened. In a public setting, with other witnesses, on the record, with the note taker, they could have looked the president in the eye and say, Mr. President, if we ex- you have given us a lawful order, and we will execute that order. But I want you to understand that if we execute the order that you just gave us, we will fail. We will very likely put our soldiers in serious danger. We won't get all the hostages out. We'll be at the mercy of the Taliban. And this could look really bad. Having explained the consequences of the order you just gave us, do you still want us to execute that order? Now, most presidents in a setting like that would blink and say, um, let's talk about it, right? Yeah. Here's, here's what I'm, I don't know this, but here's what I suspect what happened. 
president says, you have 2,500 troops, make it work. And they said, oh, yeah, Mr. President, we'll do the best I can. And then the president goes out and said, well, the military agreed with me. That is, that is an unbelievable violation of your, of your responsibility to the service, to the nation, and actually to the president. They could have saved Joe Biden from himself. Yeah. As I would say, and you know this, because you, we all, there are times when people went to Donald Trump and they said, Mr. President, we'll do this because you're the boss, but we want you to understand, if we do this, this is what is gonna happen. And he would say, if what I just ordered hurt American interests or put my troops at risk or wasn't in the best interest of Americans, you know what, guys? I won't do that. I remember a very senior person who, whose name I won't mention when in a setting that I won't mention <laughs> when was asked a question of what are you most proud of? And their response was, we kept the president from doing some pretty stupid things. And, and my response to that was, you know what? Oh, good for you that you were honest with the president and you told him. But you know what? What does that say about the character of the man that you work for? That a subordinate looked him in the eye and said, what you're doing is wrong and explains to him how it is wrong, and the president says, okay, you're right, I'm wrong, I agree with you. I think it says more about the president than it does about the yes. Yahoo yeah. that, that said that. Absolutely, but um, you finish your thought? No, because you asked about real leadership, and, and I was going to give you a, a, a really good contrasting example that fits in nice yeah. with, our, with the, you know, because we, we've just been through the 9-11 weekend and the 20th anniversary, and when people say about leadership, um, Somebody that, that, that we both know, and, and, we, and I've told some stories about because he was there on 9-11 with Steve Bucci, my West Point classmate, buddy who worked with me at Heritage, who was, was Donald Rumsfeld's military aide when he was um, uh, Secretary of Defense and, and was there on 9-11. I don't think I've ever told you the story about Mrs. Bucci. No. So Steve's wife is a nurse, which is a good career to have with an Army guy because you just follow him around, right? So when Steve got the job at the Pentagon working for Rumsfeld, um, she went down to the Pentagon clinic because, as you know, there's a medical clinic in the Pentagon where people can go for like bumps and bruises and stuff um, to interview for a job. Um, her scheduled interview was on the morning of September 11th, 2001. Wow. While she was in the clinic, the airplane hit the building. And even though she was not an employee... <laughs> Of anybody, she spent the entire day being a triage nurse in the Pentagon. And Steve didn't know where she was. You know, she couldn't tell him where she was. He, he didn't even know she was in the building. Um, when the day ended, this woman who, who did this extraordinary thing, you know, finally got home. And they live in Arlington. And, and when they got home, their, their, their car was covered in dust and soot from the fire at the Pentagon. And and she just looked at that and she goes, well, that's people, yeah. right? They're people that were burned alive. And the part of them is in this dust spread across the city and the country. And she just broke down in the driveway and cried. You know, there's somebody, not a four-star general, not even wearing a uniform. That's, that's leadership in America. God, God bless uh -huh. her and, and the thousands and tens of thousands who 
served this nation after 9-11. We're talking to Jim Carafano, Vice President of the Heritage Foundation. Follow him at JJ Carafano, and please join the Heritage Foundation today, heritage.org, under the able leadership, the stellar leadership of Kay Coles James. Um, for the time being, we're very sad to hear the announcement that she will be leaving. She's done amazing things there, very much in the spirit of Heritage's founder, Ed Fulner, and it was fabulous to see both of them on the presidential transition team before the uh, the transfer of power in 2016. Uh, you will be missed at Heritage, but uh, uh, I think we'll uh, we'll see Kay back again in one form or another. Uh, Jim, let's uh, let's talk about the big picture. Uh, you've you've actually not only taught about homeland security with me at National Defense University. You wrote the book, literally. You wrote the textbook on homeland security. Uh, give us the overview. This is the 20th anniversary of the biggest terror attack yeah. in the modern age. The southern border is open. Uh, the Taliban is stronger than they've ever been. AQ, ISIS flooding back into that country. You are the, the, the premier expert. How much more... Um, in danger is America or, or, or Western civilization 20 years later yeah. after 9-11? Well, first of all, I and, and I don't mean that I'm not fear-mongering and I'm not partisan. I, I don't wish our president or his policies at all. I, I believe we are in far graver danger now on the 20th anniversary than we were on the uh, original anniversary. And let me explain why. And I know people would say like, what the hell have we been doing for 20 years? And, and the answer is, is what we've been doing for 20 years is there hasn't been another 9-11. Yeah. I mean, there have been other terrorist attacks and stuff. And it's not for lack of trying. I mean, they wanted to do another one. But for 20 years, under Republican and Democratic presidents, and dismantled networks, and we prevented them from having the capacity to, to do the kind of transnational terrorist campaigns that 9-11 was supposed to precursor for it's supposed to be the first of a series of, of, of attacks i liken it to look tra transnational terrorism is is the easiest business to get into i mean you're just killing innocent people how hard is that i mean anybody can be a terrorist right all you need is a couple of people and a and a place to be left alone so you can organize in secret and then you can go out and kill all kinds of people right with box so cutters it's an easy business with, with, with box cutters right. and plane tickets it's an easy business to get into. I liken it to is, is why it didn't happen. It's like flossing your teeth. Every day you go in there, you floss your teeth, you take out the bacteria, your teeth don't rot. Or, or think of a forest fire. You, you, the fire. you put out the fire and then you stick around and you make sure that the ashes don't flare up again and, and the fire doesn't end So it's not like a traditional military campaign where you plant a flag and, and, and it's over. Or you are, it, it, it's, a, it's an action of protecting modern society, which is actually incredible, incredibly vulnerable to terrorism, from this by consistently going out and, and dismantling the terrorist networks, much in the way that the farmer you know, weeds the field so the whatever overrun the fields. And we did that for 20 years. It was dramatically successful. Today, talk, we just talk, learned what happens when you do talk about Talk about the situation today and especially your expertise when it comes to homeland security in the southern border, Jim. Oh, absolutely. Because what Biden did is basically, it's like the guy that took his heart pills for 20 years and then stopped taking the heart pills and didn't understand why he got a heart attack. Um, Biden essentially stopped caring. And what you have in Afghanistan is you will have another 9-11 and it will be planned out of Afghanistan. 
and Al Qaeda, and they will they will insist that the world know that it was planned from Afghanistan, because that is the only way they can make up for their twenty year humiliation to regain their honor, regain their respect, to be blessed by God, to demonstrate that this is their historic mission. I I guarantee you there are people in Afghanistan today talking about this. It is going to happen. And what Biden has done is he's taken away our capacity to really know what's going on there, understand what's going on there, deal with what's going on there. We know less about what's going on in Afghanistan today than Bill Clinton did when he was lobbing cruise missiles blindly at the country 20 years ago. The defensive part of that, okay, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. All, all I know is that Myers is out of the insane asylum. I don't know where he is, right? So how do you defend against that? Well, Biden has, in the seven months or eight months as president, not only has he abolished our ability to go after the enemy, he's virtually eliminated our ability to defend against the enemy. We have an open border. Millions of people are walking across that border. If they, if they get this $4.5 trillion spending bill with amnesty, tens of millions of people will walk across that border without any inspection, no knowledge of who they are whatsoever. If I were, if I were a terrorist, or I were advising a terrorist, I would say, look, don't try to recruit people here to do your terrorist stuff. Get caught by the cops. Get a team. Give them a modicum of training. It's not super hard. Tell them to walk in from Mexico. Nobody's going to bother. It's the safest, most covert way to get in the United States. Well, but we Jim, it's, it's, not even, it's not even covert. You're going to be given a plane ticket. I mean, you're going to be, even but if you exactly. get caught, you're going to, you're going to be, you're going to be, you know, babysat by and, Biden's government. And look, look what happens when you, you, you go to the border, turn yourself into CBP, you tell them, hey, send me to Cleveland, right? Once they get you there, what happens? Well, for eight months, Biden has had Department of Justice and Homeland Security focused on pushing forward Biden's political agenda and not focusing on what they're supposed to be doing, which is going after transnational terrorists. So they're hounding conservatives and Trump voters. If you, remember, if, if you look at that list of indicators of what a terrorist is, according to the Department of Homeland Security, literally it, 75 million people in this country would qualify as a terrorist. Yeah. So, so we have the instruments of government that should be laser focused on this, essentially doing political hack work for the administration. And it's not just affecting our freedom and liberty that we're being hounded by our own government. We're actually less safe because they're not actually going out and looking for transnational terrorists. Now, none of this was true on the original 9-11. On September 2001, our border was actually more secure than it is today because on September 2001, the Customs and Border Patrol were actually trying to stop people from coming in the country. They weren't facilitating them coming into the country. The, the FBI may not have been, you know, terrorism may not have been their number one job, but, you know, they investigated the first World Trade Center, Bob. They knew that, okay, they, at least they were looking for terrorists and not Trump supporters. So I, I do think we're less safe today. And here's the thing is, is look at the Taliban. The Taliban would not give up al-qaeda 20 years ago you think they're going to give up al-qaeda now they have a bigger army they have more money they have more friends they control more territory they're much stronger today than they were 20 years ago and you know 20 years ago they didn't know what kind of president they were facing in george bush they know exactly what kind of president they're facing in uh joe biden because it's exactly the kind of president they saw in barack obama and it's not the president that's going to go back and fight 
that's, to go after Arcade. That's why you're a regular guest on our show, and that's why you're Jim Carafano. It's just, I mean, that, just that one observation is, is, is pure gold. If they didn't give up Bin Laden 20 years ago, why, why, would, why would they give up anybody from Al-Qaeda today now that they've got $83 billion worth of our weapons, China's on their side? I mean, that, that just cuts through all, all the lies and the propaganda. Jim, you... Because you all met- these guys are interacting, right? You know, uh, Pakistani intelligence services, is the Haqqani work, which is the framework behind that. Uh, Al Qaeda, they're, they're symbi- they have a, they all have a symbiotic relationship. They don't love each other, but but they, know they have to live with each other, and 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 they know that when the others are successful, they're actually more successful. So I, I do think we're in a much more dangerous place. So you touched upon twice the the issue of the federal government under Biden. You used the phrase "hounding conservatives" or "targeting conservatives." <sighs> From a pure threat analysis to the republic, the values of the republic, how serious is it that with a change of administration, we go from fighting terrorism to securing the border, to making sure cartels can't make billions every single month, to having the first DHS unclassified intelligence report after the inauguration state that the primary threat to America is domestic violent extremists who are pro-life, who may question the results of the last election, who may have certain uh, attitudes towards January the 6th. How how concerned are you, as a member of a conservative foundation, that it seems as if the federal threat analysis is about people who voted for Donald Trump, Jim? Well, look, I mean... You know, Chad Wolf was was the former secretary at Homeland Security who was a visiting fellow with Heritage, and, and he will tell you that there, there's no data behind any of this threat analysis. And he, because the data could not have changed the day he left office. Right. So he will tell you that there is no data that suggests that this threat analysis is anything a partisan political project where that's putting a priority on hounding political enemies as opposed to actually going after terrorists. What's the which is a sit it up. What's the practical effect of that? So, you know, everybody knows the story about the cop sees a guy in the, looking under a street lamp and he, he's crawling on the ground. The cop goes, oh, what are you doing? The guy says, well, I'm looking for my car keys. And he goes, well, where's your car? He goes, well, it's down the block. <laughs> and he goes, well, what are you doing here? He goes, well, the light is better here. Right. So, the, so that when you're looking for terrorists in the place where the terrorists aren't, you're not going to catch the terrorists. Yeah. So when you are running around looking at you know, people who are pro-life or, you know, anti-vaxxers or, you know, election deniers, you, you may not like those people. They may be bad for your politics, not the people planning the next 9-11. And, and, and the deal is, is look, you know, super terrorists are not like the guys on TV, right? They're, they're not the mad geniuses in the James Bond movies. All you really need is an average bunch of people who are moderately not stupid, who do what they're told to do something really, and things don't even have to all go right. I mean, one of the 9-11 sites is in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And the reason for that is because the terrorists had, you know, four planes and one of them was late, right? It, It was late taking off. I mean, and that, so that really kind of screwed up their plans. 
And what happened, of course, was the passengers heard about the other planes being flown in, and they knew that was happening, so they 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 attacked the terrorists because they knew it was suicide anyway, and the terrorists flew the plane in the ground in Shanksville. So, you know, these weren't masterminded terrorist things. I mean, a, a quarter of their plot was completely screwed up by a, yeah. by a delayed plane flight, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but this is what's really scary about this, is you're not out there trying to catch the James Bond supervillain. You're just trying to catch evil people with evil intent. And it is doable. You know, one of the things that we used to have at the Heritage Foundation was after 9-11, we, we kept a database of Islamist terror plots aimed at the United States since 9-11. Um, and some of them were successful. We all know about the couple in California that killed people. And of course, is the Boston bomber. So, so our track record wasn't perfect, but the over, overwhelming number of plots that were aimed at the United States were actually reported ahead of time by good intelligence sharing, proactive law enforcement. So we actually went out and stopped these guys. And these were just the publicly known plots. The people didn't know about the, we don't, of classified info we know about the classified things that were stopped but we got really good at, at, at stopping we had almost a perfect record and about five years ago it was actually even under obama we just stopped counting yeah. and the reason for that is we were running out of plots but they just weren't happening so you totally can do this if you do your job but if you're not doing your job it's it's like you know it's like the burglar that steals all your jewelry he He's not the genius cat burglar. He's just the guy that got lucky because you left your freaking door open. Right. Or it's like trying to play a football game without looking at the football. It's very difficult to win a football yeah. game if you don't actually look at the football. Jim, uh, I could do this for hours. I just uh, have, have one question I, I want to close on, however. What do you say, given your passion for what you do, your commitment to this country, your family's commitment to this country, the identity of the Heritage Foundation. What do you say to those who, especially after the last election, especially after the last eight months, are just giving up on the idea of America and the founding values? Well, you know, that really gets to the core question. And actually, it's the thing that I learned from kind of the post-Afghanistan moment. You know, I would talk to a lot of people about the election in 2016, and they would say, look, we, we don't care about foreign policy. I, I'm not voting on national security. I'm voting on health care or you know, inflation or groceries or the mean tweets or whatever. And my response to that was always, dude, you are voting on national security and foreign policy. You are electing the person that will be commander in chief. You are electing the person that controls all the instrument of foreign policy. So you may say you're not doing that, but you are determining your own fate. And... The, the reality is, is what we normally do when we vote is on domestic issues, we vote with the candidate who aligns with us. You like Obamacare. I like Obamacare. I vote for you. On foreign policy, we pick the person that we trust and we just assume they're going to do everything right. So Biden seems like a nice guy. I'm sure he'll do fine. Right? We, we got to stop outsourcing responsibility for foreign and security policy we got to start taking responsibility for that for ourselves because it does affect our paychecks, our community, our individual lives, our livelihood. You know, I've, I probably did spots in St. Louis, Missouri, for some reason. I'm super popular. So say that again. We lost you there. This will probably be like talk, seven, talk, talk to us about <laughs> Say that again. St. Louis. No, no, I said I, I, the, couple, the last couple of days I probably did six or seven radio spots in St. Louis. I, I don't know why I'm super popular, but you're, but you're syndicated there, so it would be more St. Louis. Thing. 
But but of course, St. Louis is one of the cities where one of the third friends that died in, in, in the service in, in Afghanistan was brought home. And when they were brought home, everybody came out, Democrats, Republicans, liberal, conservative, they lined the streets. Um, they, they all mourned with that family about, and it, and it was their loss. It was the city's loss. It was really, to me, one of the most poignant, touching things I've ever seen in my entire life. But, but it's just a reminder about it is our responsibility. And so we have to take responsibility for these issues. We have to be willing to talk about them and learn about them. You know, people listen to Joe Biden, they go, that, that sounds dumb. You know, I'm not a four-star. Well, that's right. You don't have to be a four-star general. If you're a person with good common sense, you know the difference. And you have to have the courage to dialogue and discuss. You know, critical race theory, people go, oh, uh, you know, I hate this stuff because this is destroyed. But I don't want to say anything because people say I'm a racist. And what we've seen is all across the country, people say, well, no, you have to have the courage to stand up and say, this is not good for our kids. And if people call you a racist, what's more important? Doing good things for your kids or some guy yelling epithets at you or, or mean things? So I think Americans have, we have to think differently about foreign and national security policy in the age where we live. People need to think for themselves and they need to talk to other people. And, they, and I don't care what they think. They can think Afghanistan's bad or good or whatever, but... But you are responsible for the future of this country, your freedom, your livelihood, your paycheck. Everything is your responsibility. And don't be like Joe Biden and not live with the consequences of what you did. Yeah. It's, you know, it's people a, say, well, he didn't win the election. He didn't win the election in 2016. I, I, a lot of people voted for this guy. And the guy they picked to be commander in chief is an atrocious coward. And the, it, the, and the irony is, is we all knew that beforehand and we voted him in anyway. So I my answer to your question is people need to look, educate themselves on these issues, think for themselves and talk to their friends and neighbors. And if they don't do that, then they get the future they, that they're going to get. It's a beautiful, beautiful close. I don't know if he planned this, but he brought us full circle. Um the man who bears the title president currently doesn't take responsibility for his decisions. It is up to us to take responsibility for America. God bless you, Jim, for the work you do, for the work that Kay does, Heritage. Follow this man. Thank you for being a truth teller. JJ Carafano on Twitter, heritage.org. Join them. Become a member today. I'm Sebastian Gorka. Dear friends, keep your head on a swivel. Watch your six. Hold the line. Never give up. Never give in. And stay frosty. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.